Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my friends and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Well, today is a very special episode for me uh, for many reasons, and I know I occasionally say that, but guys, we don't just have one game creator on today. We have two now, we'll start with a man who's been on before, a man who needs absolutely no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, the author of one of my favorite games of the last decade slash of all time, Gaslands. You know I love it. You know I play it. Plus the author of his more recent game, A Billion Sons, and one of the co-authors of Mystic Skies. Of course I'm talking, Mike Hutchinson. Welcome back to Cast Dice. Boy, howdy, I better be interesting after that intro. Mate, you are always interesting. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm very good. Uh, it's, a, it's, a funny, it's a funny recording session, this, because uh, it's exceptionally early for you, and uh, it's just creaming towards bedtime for me. But uh, I've got, got a cold beer and uh, a desire to talk games. So, <sighs> yeah, pleased to be here Love again. It. Yeah, I have a bucket of coffee, and uh, I haven't quite worked up the will to live yet, but we're getting there. But I did say we had two guests, and coming in from our third time zone, smack dab in the middle, we have a gentleman who's never been on before, but who has uh, had his finger in many pies in the gaming world. Most recently, he, of course, w uh, put out the game Sludge, uh, which we're going to talk about in just a second, which looks awesome, because I know a lot of you like your Napoleonics on this show. But uh, he also was the co-author of Mystic Skies, and he's the man behind Metal King Studio, who, of course, make Relic Blade. Of course, I'm talking about Sean Sutter. Welcome to Cast Dice, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, man. Sean, I know I said it off air. I'm going to say it again. Uh, it's rare to see a game designer who is so artistic, artistically talented, I guess. You do all of your own illustrations for your games, and my God, are they good. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah, I uh, I do all the illustration and game design and sculpture for my games, so... Uh, it's a lot to do, but it keeps me busy and keeps my restless imagination exercised. It's rare to see, I mean, people have talents and you see people who are artistically talented who, who illustrate or who uh, sculpt. Uh, we have talked to many of those people on this show and we've talked to many game designers, but it is a rare day when all of those things are in one person. And I think that is what makes Relic Blade such an interesting gaming uh, experience, I, I guess. It, it's, it's all sort of comes from one mind. Um, because oftentimes you'll get um, illustrations and game design, and they don't always line up necessarily. Um, having spoken to many game designers, like, yeah, the illustrations are great. You know, so I sent off my ideas, and then these came back, and then we went back and forth. But for you, that process is all organic it's all naturally in your head and in in some ways the way that you design your miniatures and the game that you d write yourself they're 
interconnected in a way that a lot of other games aren't. Yeah, it's that like single author sort of uh, element to it definitely uh, off, creates a unique flavor because through the design and the art and the cards and the uh, scenarios and the sculptures, everything really uh, has a unified aesthetic and that really just comes naturally from me being the one doing it so it's very fun and unique in that way well let's talk about why you gentlemen are here shall we mike you have been on before and you asked me if i had read blaster i want to say magazine but i know that isn't the correct title but i will explain why in a sec um you sent me the third issue of this And I was instantly blown away. Now, for those who don't know, Blaster is a publication that is independently put out that has contributions from Sean and from Mike and from other well-knowns in the indie gaming world, Joseph McCullough. We have Joey McGuire, Ash Barker. I believe that's everyone. Am I forgetting someone? That's everyone. That's everyone. When I first saw Blaster being advertised, I looked at it and said... Cool. Those are authors that I absolutely love. I literally own the games from all of those people. I should probably pick this up. And then, you know, in true Magpie Gamer faction, I went, yeah, I'll pick it up one of these days. I live in Australia. And when I passed by the local gaming shop from time to time, I looked around and say, oh, I didn't see it on the rack. And I was expecting it to be like a War Games Illustrated, almost White Dwarf Dragon Magazine sort of publication where you have some gaming articles and crap loads of ads. And man, that isn't what this is. This is, as it's described on the cover, it is an anthology. It's not just a magazine. There's no ads in it. It is actually a a publication chock full of gaming supplements slash games themselves. For example, um, Blaster Issue 3, or Anthology 3, includes a solo game by Sean called Sludge War, which is sort of a dark, alternative, magic, history, Napoleonics game. Am I getting that right, Mr. Sutter? Yeah, I think I I go with the term uh, war games in a doom age of black powder. And it's, yeah, it's like apocalyptic fantasy black powder. Oh, it's so cool. And as I was reading it, uh, I was thinking, wow, I really need to buy some Napoleonics. Until I read the throwaway sentence in there that said, oh, yeah, you can use the Samurai for this. And went, oh, my God, yes. Because just just a quick it. point. You said it was a solo uh, game, but you meant standalone. Like it's a it's a it's a whole game in the uh, issue. Sorry, but it's a game for playing with your friends. Absolutely. No, you are absolutely right. I did yeah, say that they're... when I said solo, I did mean it's it's the entire game is in this issue of Blaster. Now, Blaster is 120 pages. It's a soft bound well, is, yeah. book, <laughs> but it is not a magazine. It is a fully color, beautifully put out supplement. And as I said, um, the first what? F- half third is sludge. Uh, Sludge War, but then you also have Shadowgrave, um, which is an expansion, obviously, for Shadows of Rainbow Deep, and, and, and yeah, uh, sorry, and for, Sh- and for Shadows of Rainbow Deep, yeah, yep, it's, yep. Uh, he's he. It's interesting, like uh, Joe's got this kind of unification of the rule system, which uh, has allowed him to like create like he can insert the Cthulhu mythos into all three of the sort of Frostgrave 
Ghost Archipelio mm -hmm. and uh, and and Rangers all at the same time. I also it's wonder. Cool. So yeah, having read through it, I was reading through it, going, I wonder if I could pull parts of this into Stargrave because, as you say, it is sort of all unified, right? Um, I think yeah, probably yeah, you can. can. Oh, it's you so can cool. use it in Stargrave. It just, I think. The issue is that he wrote it before Stargrave was released. Yeah. And so then he forgot to add Stargrave to the list of many <laughs> graves that he can explore. He didn't future-proof it. Uh, but then we also have Gaslands Legacy, which is a whole new way to play Gaslands, which I always love. Now, we'll get into that in a sec. But then we also have Ronin Rules for Gamma Wolves, which is the giant mech game by Ash Barker. And we have um, Mysterious Anomalies. That's what for this is not a test. And there's just so much great in here. I go from one section to the next to the next going, God, I need to put this on the tabletop. This is the most exciting gaming supplement I've seen in a long time. And that's from 30 plus years of wargaming. This is amazing. Um, can you guys talk to me a little bit about where Blaster came from? Because damn, it is worth every penny of every issue. I now own all three. Thank you. Uh, Sean, do you, want, do you want to tell your origin story on this one? Because I think we have slightly different routes in. Yeah, I, I got contacted. I think it was Ash that reached out to me, but it might have been Joe. Anyways, it was, it was just like uh, the idea, a whim idea that we should get together and write smaller supplements rather than having to go through like a longer channel of publication. Cause I mean, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sludge is really pushing the limit of what's appropriate for blaster. But the idea was for us to do smaller things that, uh, that we could explore all kinds of different, uh, realms or, or ideas or little expansions that wouldn't necessarily merit their own book, but give us a chance to just really, explore and have fun as game designers and then also uh have a deadline and have like a a, a co-op going where we'd like encourage be able to encourage each other to like uh, create new small content for our games and uh and so i think that was it, it it's been a long journey of figuring out all of the the nuance that goes between having a whimsical idea and actually executing it but uh, I think that was the origin. I was just like asked to be part of a game collective. And I thought that's a good idea because I always have a hard time doing stuff if I don't have a deadline. And so that this really helped me be ready to lock down and, and meet those. Well, if we look at the quote from the inside of the first issue, if you surround yourself with talented people and give them the freedom to achieve, then work will never fail. And I think that really sums up how Blaster works in my mind. Everyone who contributes to here are incredibly talented game designers. And this gives people the opportunity, as you say, to explore um, nooks and crannies of either their, the games they've already put out, um, to expand it for their fans, or to explore new things. Mystic Skies is a great example. It's almost like Relic Blade combined with Gaslands, because using the Gaslands templates to have wizard duels where they're trying to destroy each other's towers with minions running around in, in the middle. It, it's such a fun, cool game. Uh, it is literally one of the first things that I've lined up to play the second that our lockdown ends because it is nice. miniatures agnostic. It, it has so many 
you know, it just looks fun. And again, I don't know if that was a game that you could put out independently. I mean, you probably could in maybe a PDF form, but I don't know if that's a game that you would necessarily see a hardcover in a game store. But Blaster gives you the opportunity for grognards like myself, who really like having these books in front of us, to get these exciting new games, these little fun indie projects that you wouldn't see otherwise. I mean, back in the day, you had like Steve Jackson games putting out the pocket games, or you had cheap-ass games putting out those uh, games in those paper envelopes. You don't see that as often anymore. I don't know. I, I, it feels like indie gaming is coming back in a big way, and I think that you guys are a big part of it collectively. Can you guys talk a little bit, Mike, uh, what is your take on indie gaming, uh, the state of it, and where, I guess, how Blaster ties into that? Hmm. My take on this is that uh, as somebody who likes playing lots of games and uh, just keeps writing games all the time, I sort of see the size of a small, like, independent game creation puts a limit on the size of your aspiration because you don't have a huge set of machinery around you. But I don't think it puts a limit on the quality that you can achieve. You just have to limit the scope of the ambition. Mm. And so I think what what you see, what I'm loving about like people who are independently creating things for the love of it is that it's a bit like it's a bit like reading reading an amazing short story versus seeing like a whole Hollywood produced mm. movie. It's like you can take an idea and and somebody can really pour their creative energy into that idea and bring that idea to life and flesh it out and do lots of interesting things with it. But also they can do slightly wacky things and things that wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, they wouldn't they would they wouldn't land with a massive with a, a massive audience as. Uh, as as massive as wargaming might provide mm-hmm. so i think that in a world where like it, it, the accessibility of an audience through indie publishing and so on gives you this opportunity to experiment and do something really personal and put your creativity right into it i think that's kind of where uh i don't know i've been finding uh a lot of satisfaction from blaster is that like being in this soup of creative people and getting more inspiration and confidence to try new and crazy things and not worry so much about you know this one has to be the next piece of the mike hutchinson gaming legacy that will define my uh, my oeuvre but instead can just be like cool let's just put out like a game with wizards where they fly around on magic carpets that'll be totally rad should we do that yes great nice. done yeah well, it's like, it's not yeah, like you're and- trying to recreate the next giant war game that's gonna you know run on game store shelves for the next thirty years. You can take rather exactly. than taking so something far, so far away from that. Yeah, rather than taking something and trying to be any, as inclusive as possible and having you know thirty factions within the game, you can actually just take an idea uh, for something you know short and sharp and run with it and have fun playing it. It doesn't have to be your permanent game. It could be the game you play on Saturday night. And that's it. And as long as you're having a good time with it, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, there there are a couple of thoughts I have on that. Like, mm. one is uh, that for for like the Blaster projects, I think part of it is is if you make a product that is designed for a maximum number of people to like it, then you can end up with something that ends up very 
uh, I don't know, like predictable. You know, I love Marvel movies, but, mm-hmm. you know, they've got their formula and they're all characters that we already know. Mm-hmm. And so, and if you're going to make a AAA title, you just aren't going to have risk the budget on something that is more niche. Yeah. And so uh, it gives us a chance to make something explicitly that we expect some people will love it and some people will hate it. And that's a better place to be than everyone thinking it's fine. You know, if everyone thinks it's good, that's, that's nice, I'm sure. But we want people to either love it or hate it, you know, like get those extremes on the bell curve and hit those spots where we're able to offer like a really specific experience, a really specific game style. Um, and and then like for for Mystic Skies is a really fun example also of what we're doing with Blaster is it's something that Mike liked the idea of. But then when he talked to me about it, I was like, oh, my gosh, we really have to do that. And we got so excited, like I was sculpting models and doing drawings and we were chatting about lore and we were building out. Uh, different types of wizards and having all kinds of fun and and testing it on a tabletop simulator. So it gave us a chance to um, like riff off each other, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, and do kind of like a jam session of game design. Whereas, uh, you know, so something like Sludge or Mystic Skies or Martian Federation Racing Mm -hmm. or, or some of the other like, blaster exclusive titles we have coming out it, there's a temptation to think oh well i'm i'm buying this magazine and i or, or whatever this games anthology and i'm getting i want just this one game but i'm buying this whole thing that comes with all these other games in it and the the, the key is that none of it really exists mm-hmm. uh, apart from each other because it's part of the like collaboration and the energy of the group and uh, and so that's a very uh fun thing that we're inter- injecting into the indie gaming world is that we're being able to like chase these dumb rabbit trails but we're getting the boost of each other's experience and enthusiasm uh, hopefully raising the tide a little bit making it even better than it would be on its own blaster is not one of those things that once it's out you sell through its run and then it's done and you can't find it again. So you need to run out and buy an issue because it's going to be out of print. If you go to drive through RPG, you can get all three issues of blaster, which have, you can either get the PDFs, which I've done for issue one and two, and then I've had them locally printed because shipping to Australia is a bit dicey at the moment. Um, Or you can get them to print it professionally and send it to you, which is how I have issue three. And man, both are fantastic options, but I was able to hunt down issue one and two in about 10 seconds flat, and then I had it that afternoon because I had it locally printed, and all the great content was there. Sometimes when you miss an issue of something, you feel like, oh God, now I have to track it down on eBay or try and find someone who can send me a photograph of an article because I, I can't find it otherwise. Blaster's one of those things, because it's not a limited run, 
you can get these games later on down the track. Yeah, that's I mean, that's why we call it a gaming anthology. And there are three volumes so far. And we're going to keep putting volumes out. And, you know, right now we, we talked a lot about it. But right now, we really like the format. Um, it's m maybe closer to I guess the thing it's closest to is like an RPG adventure anthology. Mm -hmm. So if you play RPGs, as I'm pretty sure all three of us do, like you'll have a plenty, you'll have plenty of books on your shelf where there's like four adventures that are written by different authors mm -hmm. and um, all kind of, you know, spin off in their own kind of crazy ways. And that's really, that's really all uh, the Blaster anthologies are as well. And so we absolutely intend them to be, uh, I think the technical term is evergreen. Um, the content doesn't doesn't time out. There's no there's no um, it, it it doesn't you know it's, it is there to be enjoyed and and you'll you'll see that there is a couple of uh, articles that are sort of you know that that develop on earlier ones. Um, but we try and keep everything pretty self contained uh, so that you can as long as you as long as you're enjoying at least one of the games that uh, one of us puts out, then there's, there's there's a pretty high likelihood that you'll find something immediately valuable for the game that you're playing and then of course like you know one of the reasons that, that we wanted to do this together is to it's to sort of introduce uh players of each other's games to each other's games and so if uh you know if, if blaster is getting Frostgrave players playing gaslands or gaslands players playing relic blade then um that's absolutely bang on what we're uh, what we're hoping to achieve just kind of spread some of that spread some of that indie gaming love around absolutely yeah yeah that that reminds me, uh, another another metaphor I wanted to use for it, for indie gaming, is like uh, starting to approach the miniatures that we have collected and our like terrain sets mm -hmm. and everything more like a Nintendo that's ready for you to load a new cartridge in or, or you know, download and play a game because... I love this metaphor. Yes. With, I, I definitely date myself when I... Uh, or age myself when I talk about putting cartridges in a Super Nintendo, or I really I think of an NES. Like you got to blow in it, yes, and get it just right. But um, but maybe it's more like you know Steam Workshop or whatever, where you you're getting all these indie games and um, being able to play lots of different video games. You know, like when we don't think it's weird to play multiple video games like people don't mm -hmm. say oh i only i mean maybe there there's all kinds of people yeah but there are a couple of people who say i only play I street only, fighter yeah exactly i only play yeah street fighter we'll say um that hobbyist exists to only play street fighter 2 or whatever but i think in miniature gaming it's even more prevalent for people to be like oh i only play x game mm -hmm. you know and and if you play a different game you're my enemy. Like I've run into that <laughs> attitude before, you know, whereas I, I'd like to see my, my game space more as all the assets and skins and engine, you know, you know, mm -hmm. ready to run whatever game I'm going to plop down on the table and hopefully get all kinds of different game experiences, even from the same set of miniatures. So for example, um, uh, Mike's ingenious game, A Billion Suns. Yeah, I have, I could get set up with space figures. I could pull mm -hmm. out my Star Wars Armada ships and it'd be great. But I also have like my Dystopian Wars mm -hmm. and, and I can reskin and feel 
these like sand crawlers going across a desert world fighting over uh over spice and and i'm still running the billion suns world and running the game mechanics and all of the ingenious stuff happening in there but in my table it's it's a uh, you know skinned a certain way and uh i really think that's it's a really wonderful space for us to develop the indie mm-hmm. indie tabletop and also starting to like it's not that we're trying to educate our audience but like really introduce the idea that like your you don't need a new set of miniatures necessarily to play more than one game and you you don't even need to only play one game or one type of game exactly. and if you only play sci-fi games you can also easily be playing other games but with your sci-fi figures i don't know it's it's a little bit i i need the permission as a pedant i need the permission like i wouldn't have ever played with gi joes and star wars toys in, in the same play session when i was a kid yeah but but maybe <laughs> with my miniatures i can start to open the door to uh being more flexible and and playing more indie games well, as, as someone who is literally finishing painting their 156 scale G.I. Joe army to play different games with, I appreciate that comment. But <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. And I guess um, if you listen to the intro to this show, as you all did coming in today, um, you would know that this is a show where we do talk about every single type of game that looks cool and interesting in the world. So I guess we don't run into that single game mentality that often. Although when I do go out, uh, cause I do, I did used to work for games workshop in corporate sales. I know I've said it before, but when I go out and uh, meet with some of my old friends, I still get some of that derision of, Oh, are you still looking at those other games? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, and you go, well, you know, it's cool. You know, I'm having a fun time playing, you know, there's just a lot of great games and we should keep our, our, our minds open to that. And sometimes it can be hard in, in the, in the noise of how many great games there are, that there are lots of games available that we may not see immediately on the radar because maybe they don't have the bandwidth as far as, critical mass of fans talking about it online or advertising budget in big magazines or um, through Facebook or, you know, if you're just not in the right groups, you may not hear about some of these things. I embarrassingly did not know much about Relic Blade until I bought Blaster Magazine 1 and 2 uh, and then was back going back through content. And then I was researching through your website, Mr. Sutter, and um, Blaster exposed me to your game, whereas I had all the other it's games. doing its job. Yeah, well, I, I owned all the other games except for that one and went, ah, oh, how did I miss this one? It was like the, the, the collection. How did I miss that one? And so now I'm going back and looking at that one, which, yeah, is the purpose of the publication, I guess. But when I was but going it's true. Through, I mean, like, yeah. I, I actively am looking you know, constantly on the lookout mm-hmm. for other indie designers and indie games and, and buying up as much as I can. But mm-hmm. it's true, you know, there are games that you just even, yeah, games that I'm I'm shocked that I haven't heard of yet. Or um, it's just, it's funny because like you said, there's the hobby sort of, it's, it's connected and it's a small community, but also there's so many of us like hiding in the tall grass, mm-hmm. I guess somehow we managed to stay uh, hidden. 
but by being open to other gaming ideas um, in recent years, I guess to talk about myself for 10 seconds, I've been free to paint my G.I. Joe army, where a lot of people, when I first started, kept asking me, what is this for? What is this for? What is this for? And I kept saying, uh, bolt action, I guess. But that's a World War II game. But it's a platoon-style game where I could play that. But the idea was to just have the army in the case that if I wanted to play you know, a squad-scale skirmish game, I could. If I wanted to play something larger, I could. If I wanted to play Gaslands with blown-up templates, which I have, I can, you know, because G.I. Joe used all those big vehicles, and that was sort of a, a vehicle-heavy action figure range, I can play Gaslands with it. I can do whatever I want with it because I now have the army that's there. As you said, like, the console's there. I just need to blow out the cartridge and figure out what I'm going to do with it. And... Yeah, I think it's come and full I've, circle. I've for got me. a GI Joe set. Like I was, I've been thinking about that. Like wanting to make a Ninja Turtles or GI Joe, yes. like kind of uh, get get this like kind of this level of combat where apparently mm-hmm. every gun shoots lasers and like mm-hmm. like it's like hyper masculine military, but like from a little kid's perspective. Yes, <laughs> like so so fun. Yeah, I think it'd be great to play like a commando game with G.I. Joe's jumping out of helicopters. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I just finished my Cobras right. and, too, and, so and I'm ready the, to go. And and all the logic is just a like early 90s video game. It's, oh, yeah. Just everything's exploding everywhere. Everyone survives. I'm getting pretty excited about this, guys. I hope you put this in a future blaster. Just keep... <laughs> let me throw some fuel on the fire and then uh step back and hope that something awesome pops out yeah the, it doesn't it doesn't matter how many wounds you do it just matters how many bullets you've shot during the game <laughs> yes yeah you you like generate momentum in like cool points and like mm-hmm. you like roll dice and you either get like a wow or a red or cool yes. because like no one got to get no, the right Exploded. Other than the other than the purple ninja grunts, no one ever died in a teenage mutant ninja turtle fight. That's no, true. and yeah, the foot soldiers are robots, anyways, so you could fight the Mausers. Uh, that's robots. true. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, once we start talking about red and blue lasers, I think we're going to into the tall weeds. Let's uh, let's rein it back a little bit because I know that there are going to be a few things that people who listen to the show want us to talk about today. Mike, Gaslands, you know I love it. Now, Gaslands Legacy is a cool new way of playing the game, but I also definitely want to talk about the Martian Racing Federation. Can you talk to us a little bit about the Martian Racing Federation? Because that was a version of Gaslands that I didn't even know existed until I bought Blaster version or uh, Anthology 2 and is awesome and is definitely going to be something I'm playing immediately um, can you dig into that? Because I know a lot of people are going to want to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, high-speed flying cars uh, is basically what's going on with that. So uh, a, a long time ago, when I was writing Gaslands, uh, initially before it was published, and I was trying to figure out <clears throat> all the places I'd take it, um, I was writing way too much game to fit in the blue book. But mm-hmm. uh, one sort of one thing that I could never get was uh, I could see if, I could see in my mind, um, probably because I just played a lot of uh, Rush 2049 mm-hmm. and uh, 
you know, back to the Nintendos, right? Yes. But um, uh, I, uh, sorry, an F Zero X as well. That was a lot of my, mm-hmm. a lot of my childhood spent playing that. So I wanted, I wanted to re- like, I was like, I've got this, I've got this Gaslan system for like driving really fast and having chaotic things. Like it's got to, it's got to work for, uh, for F Zero X games. And I could not get that sucker to work. I wrote definitely five different, completely uh, different sort of game modes to, to do it. Anyway, the game came out and uh, time time moved on. And so when when I got involved in Blaster, I sort of caught the idea that like maybe this was the time that I was going to slay this particular dragon that had mm-hmm. been pursuing me. So Martian Racing Federation is uh, it's like a standalone version of Gaslands. Mm-hmm. It's actually playable straight out of Blaster. So you don't even need Gaslands to play it, oddly enough. So it's kind of halfway between an expansion and a sort of a drift of the mm-hmm. system to again use a sort of rpg term you need the the templates mm-hmm. um but that's pretty much all you need to play and yeah the idea was like could could i make a version of gaslands that felt like you were going 300 miles per hour and any uh, any any blink of loss of concentration would result in you careering at that 300 miles an hour straight into a huge martian rock I want to dig into something you said there because a a lot of people who listen to the show play Gaslands. Imagine Gaslands without the guns and with no hazard dice. That's where we're going with this, right? So you're taking a lot of the core mechanics of the game, you're taking them out, but in their place, you're giving them uh, strings of templates on the board. So you're not just moving your, your car, vehicle, hover, racer isn't just moving one template it can but can move it can move several and again it it comes down to how are you going to survive this without wrecking um it is truly a racing game less than a car combat game but it doesn't make it any less dangerous does it it's also uh, no it's uh, it's it's extremely easy to to explode yourself on a on a rock face but um it's also it's not just a racing game it's also it's also a programming game. So in Gaslands, it's about pushing your luck with the skill die, mm-hmm. with the skid dice. But in um, in Martian Racing Federation, the skill is how do you program your car? Um, and I think if you've played Robot Rally, you will spot the obvious uh, sort of lineage of what I'm up to there. Uh, Robot Rally is one of my favorite board games mm-hmm. and uh, probably obvious from, from Gaslands, but it's even more obvious from uh, Martian Running Fe- Racing Federation. So yeah, so that's in volume one of Blaster. Um, I highly recommend it. And it's a new hobby challenge as well, because you can take, um, I took a bunch of like sort of natty Star Wars and um, Marvel licensed cars that were all swish looking and cut their wheels off and stuck wings on them. But you can also use like stuff that looks like it's more sort of Formula One racing stuff as well. So yeah, different kind of hobby challenge, different kind of gaming challenge. It's all good. And I did say it was Blaster 2. I'm sorry, you're right. It is Blaster 1. Blaster 2 was Mystic Skies, which is the wizard combat game where they're trying to nuke each other's uh, wizard towers with their minions running around in between, which you both wrote. Yeah. Yes, we wrote that together. I'm definitely going to write more of that. I have been writing more of that on the side. But uh, yeah, Mystic Skies, again, all my best game ideas are just inspired by my 90s gaming heritage. But I played a lot of bullfrog's magic carpet as a kid and so it's a love letter to that um and it's yeah it's really fun um we we've played a fair bit of it on tabletop simulator um 
well, maybe next year I'll make it out to uh, the West Coast and we can play Mystic Skies uh, mm. together in person. Oh, so cool. Well, let's talk about the new indie game in Blaster, and that's from issue three, and that is Sludge War. Now, what is Sludge? Sl- and I'm going to read the paragraph here. Sludge War game is designed for players to build grim fantasy armies using various historical miniatures. The rules are designed to represent a black powder age with an emphasis on powerful knights and dark magic. Battle-hardened line infantry will form the backbone of your force. These core troops will be supported by noble knights and strange magicians. Sludge is an invitation to collect and convert an army from a dark, ahistoric setting in a delightfully dark battle game with a brutal and distinctive play style. Awesome. You had me at that paragraph. I just went, oh my God, <laughs> yes. And then yeah. reading about I, this I game actually, is awesome. I'm glad you read that because I uh, it's, couldn't have said it better myself. It's almost like you wrote it. <laughs> brilliant tell us more about such because um as as the miniatures in the game indicate you can convert models from various historical settings and you have and the Mm -hmm. art is very clear in showing that but this is a standalone game you have orders you have scenarios um there's just the and it's it's got some rich and deep combat to it um that is just I need to read it again, and I need to actually get it on the tabletop because it mm-hmm. looks cool. You have nerve tests. Um, there are gore tokens um, to 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 talk about, um, you know, morale and how much damage units taken. You have, you know, the terrain. You have army lists. I mean, this feels like a, a complete war game, and it is. But again, it blows me away that it's just in a game of this depth is in just a game anthology. There it is. Yeah, it's. Part of it is obviously because I I wouldn't have written it without Blaster, mm-hmm. and another part is like through through all of the chaos of um, the COVID lockdowns and stuff. I just was really pouring a lot of creative energy into trying to like hash out this game. Like I've I've wanted to write this game for many years, um, but the idea of sculpting and managing another game and another line of miniatures was a little bit too much and heck it's turning out to be too much, but um, (laughs) the part of it was just the idea that, you know what, instead of, instead of creating everything from scratch, what I, what I'd like to do is something more along the lines of what saga does where you, you have a whole like dynamic, world book thing um and really cool play mechanics but mm-hmm. but the armies really you can you can use whatever historical models you want to represent them and and you know you can push it more towards trying to be historically accurate which is its own type of fantasy and then you go all the way over to just being like oh well they've got axes and you're mm-hmm. and you're playing uh playing saga so so with uh, with Sludge, I wanted to bring in sort of this dark nightmare World War One trenches mm-hmm. uh, combat, but but get that that like romantic line uh, style of wargaming that you get with Napoleonics. So where you've got line infantry in column formation, marching and cannons blowing up all around them and and then fanning out into a nice line formation and unleashing your muskets and 
And then, you know, part of my imagination that I really, really love is this, like, the idea of these, like, noble, grim trench knights with with enchanted armor and enchanted weapons just, like, tearing through this, like, peasant class uh, line infantry armies and uh, sorcerers creating magic. And the magic in the game is very, like, uh, it's not so much about fireballs, it's more about, like, grim psychological stuff and um and so trying to lean into more of a horror setting with that yeah and then also like game mechanics wise uh, i really wanted to be able to write a mass battle game so technically it's more like battalion scale combat mm -hmm. but um but getting the armies and then the different types of support units and then dealing with answering questions about how they activate, what types of orders you do. Um, and then the parts that are very unique, I think unique is a funny word because there's nothing new under the sun, but like right. stuff that is very sludgy is when characters take wounds or units take wounds, they drop gore tokens. Mm -hmm. So it, it both represents them bleeding but also represents more like the accumulated, like chaotic energy of these like doom battlefields. So uh, I, I was able to weave this like really bizarre psychology mechanic where the more violence that takes place, the more damaging it is to everyone on the battlefield. And I, so, so I'm able to like dig into themes about violence, themes about, uh, you know, this, this war in this world that is really um, struggling through this apocalypse and then, you know, metaphors for uh, energy, magic energy. And like uh, maybe it, it could represent oil. It could represent climate change or whatever doom thoughts have been like, you know, crushing my mind through the plague. Mm -hmm. uh, I just like wove it into this like, grim heavy metal game of <laughs> of black powder yeah and and so it's been very fun um the the core rules for sludge are in volume three and they're really excellent they've got all the like kind of uh historical units that you'd expect from like a napoleonic style game so you can have dragoons or uh, heavy cavalry and field guns and line infantry, mm -hmm. but then um, also supporting more uh, Dark Ages armies so you can have your guys equipped with bows or, or pole weapons and go toe-to-toe -to -toe against other armies. And then uh, part of the leveling of that playing field is, is the introduction of magical elements like the knights having uh, enchanted armor and weapons so that they can take on uh, guns and uh, you know enchanters to like uh, do different types of defensive and offensive spells through the through the game. So it's very fun, like pretty quick playing, very brutal, uh, very decisive combat. So uh, it's less of a grind and more of a like, oh my gosh, I had an army and now there's just piles of gore everywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I was having opened it and started reading it, it. The game has a lot of depth. As you say, it looks like it plays quickly. I haven't had a chance to play it because lockdown. But uh, speaking of Doom, however, uh, what I really love about this, it takes up 50 odd pages of uh, the third anthology. 
But if, and some of you might say, well, 50 pages, what are you going to get in there? How much depth are you actually going to get? But if you look at a lot of big war games that exist today, look at the rules section of those books. Usually they're 50 pages or less um, with just a whole lot of extra pictures and fluff and all of that thrown in. There is fluff attached to this game. Clearly, you've just described mm-hmm. that. But you've left it almost open to what particular doom... <laughs> Uh, inspires you and so that it's a little light on the fluff in that regard but by having that, that all will that... be that will be corrected shortly no doubt <laughs> yeah I, I i'm i'm being careful not to corner people like right. i want you to feel i want player players to have agency as creative entities mm-hmm. in this world um yeah but in the next volume that's when we're going to get some of the more specific like uh faction lore and faction units it's it's funny this next expansion i managed to create i think as many new units as there are in the core game so there's a the game will continue to grow in a very exciting way that's cool i'm I'm stoked on it yeah i really want to finish uh i want to pull out a a long uh neglected samurai project that i have in a box somewhere uh, and try this with that because I think, yeah, as absolutely. as it says in the, in the rules, that this is perfect for it. I was just going to say the other thing it's really good for is um, Sean has a very particularly Sean is damn fast at painting armies, and one of the reasons is that he has a particular style. And uh, this game really, I don't know, it asks you to paint armies in this like gruesome sludgy grim Mm -hmm. uh muddy everything's brown and shades of red uh so if you do want to finish an army like sludge just seems to be like a game that wants you to finish the entire army because it's like they're all covered in mud anyway Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and the models you can use square base or round base you can have multi-basing i mean there's a lot you can use Again, this is a miniature agnostic game that you can pull existing models into, um, and you can just add a couple models or use an existing thing that you already have, which is really exciting. Yeah, or or for me, one of the things that that got got me going is like there are so many Perry miniatures kits that I like mm-hmm. am dying to use, but I yes. but I you know from a historical standpoint, do you want like if you choose the wrong year? or wrong nation Mm -hmm. like they can't really be facing off against this nation and like oh well the russians didn't really have that kind of cavalry unit and you're like ah come on guys and they're like also you painted the buttons wrong you're like dang it so yeah so i just wanted to be like all right i've got american civil war guys i've got i really like this kid i like this kid oh i definitely want those uh acw zwavs and then you like swap the heads and suddenly you're creating this like fantasy world that's really uh capturing what's so like like uh primal and and cool about like historical war but like it's like the imagination of it if that makes sense like it's what you like these dark like collected collective nightmares we have of of combat rather than a specific like trying to recreate something from history it's more of a like a vibe a doom vibe of of uh of combat with masked soldiers uh, on a on a doomed battlefield so I, i think i'm getting there where where you know i just am you're able to buy whatever kit you really are interested in 
and and weave it into an army that's a historical so that you aren't as pigeonholed into being like well i only play this one mm-hmm. region of the peninsular war between this year and this year you know Exactly. And but if you want to take those models and add a little extra sludge flair to it and you mm-hmm. don't have to, as you say, but um, because it is a miniature agnostic game. But if you want to use um, some head swaps, you have created um, two sets of heads sw- um, that you yes. can put onto other models with the Imperial set and the Royalist set, um, which are available mm-hmm. through Black Sight Studio. And you design those and those heads fit yeah. on the existing Perry models. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's pretty simple conversion. You just clip off whatever head they came mm-hmm. with and you know, tidy it up a little bit. But. Nothing like a good head swap, right? Easy. Yeah, and it's interesting how uh, you know you can kind of see a forging cap or a stall helm or something, and you just instantly are connected to this world. Mm-hmm. And so, particularly with a head swap. Or where you're just changing the silhouette of a helmet or a silhouette of a hat, and that like really reinforces that this is not, this is not our world. This is a different setting altogether. And and part of the like, um, in in inspiration for it is the comic book and uh, anime Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Yes, where they're like really wild like it's it's i guess it's sci-fi but it's really like low fantasy Mm sci-fi with like swords and guns and and like weird tanks and weird airplanes or um you know in howl's moving castle they're like really interesting armies and the Mm -hmm. wizards are transforming and and so all of that a lot of that action happens in the background but uh miyazaki's visions of these like battlefields and there's also like a a level of distaste to it where like yes he uh, he is showing you something that you maybe love like oh cool tanks oh cool airplanes oh cool battle but but there's a level of like war's bad yeah yeah (laughs) you know so i i think that that like it's a definitely influenced by uh, miyazaki's work in that way that I I would never have picked that out of the hat, and I'm a big fan of his films until you said that, and of course now that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, let's jump back to Gaslands. I know we're sort of slaloming here uh, between guests, but I, I do want to talk about Gaslands Legacy because it is a totally different way to play the game. I know a lot of us when we play Gaslands, we build our racers. Um, I'm more of the I'm going to go find a cool Hot Wheels car and then stick some guns on it and then figure out what I'm going to do with it. And I know some of my friends are, I'm going to figure out the, the the optimal way to configure my car and then roll with it. And both are totally valid ways of playing Gaslands. But this is a totally different way on top of that. Um, Gaslands Legacy is a way of playing Gaslands, which eventually leads to you having illegal cars, right? Yep. <laughs> So what uh, is yeah, Legacy, I mean, and talk us through it. So, I, um, so I mean, Gaslands Legacy is essentially a narrative campaign for Gaslands. Uh, so it's a it's a ten uh, ten game arc, um, and through the course of that campaign, you start to get story unlocked, and uh, the choices that you make 
during the game and after the games are going to um, kind of change the things that you discover. And uh, alongside that narrative campaign, there is a set of uh, completely new legacy mechanics, which are essentially a totally new campaign progression system where you start by going to gaslands.com slash legacy, mm -hmm. uh, which you can do without purchasing uh, uh, the, uh, the blaster volume. And what you do is you take your car and you grab one out of the box or you lovingly convert one and give it a name and you turn that car over and you read the name off and you type it into gaslands.com uh, slash legacy. And that will tell you what the stats uh, for your uh, vehicle are. And those are always gonna be the stats for that car. So in a way I've created unique uh, kind of uh, stats for every single um, Hot Wheels and Matchbox car that's ever been released. So awesome. when you turn that car over, you're going to get a random collection of uh, stat boosts and skills, and those are going to be perks that don't necessarily aren't not necessarily normally allowed. And then as you complete games, you're going to uh, unlock upgrades, which is a bit of a scratch card, and you'll find that um, you get uh, certain kinds of upgrades that you might not expect. Mm -hmm. um, including um and i've just started seeing photos of this on the facebook group uh which is really exciting including new template options um what? and then because it's a legacy because it's a legacy game bad things start to happen to your team uh to your vehicles to your templates uh so there's a bunch of fun kind of baked into the system uh to create yeah like a like you know like a like a legacy board game experience where the choices that you make cannot be undone from one game to another so yeah, I, I I'm really excited about it. I I feel like the system that I created for this campaign, like there's a lot of things I can do with this legacy system in Gaslands, and so the campaign itself, uh, which really starts to heat up in uh, Volume Four in terms of the uh, ludicrousness and the mm -hmm. uh, the new hobby challenge that I'm laying down uh, for players in that uh, second half of the campaign. But yeah, I'm really excited about Gaslands Legacy, and I'm kind of like. Uh, stoked to do a another season of Gaslands Legacy once this one has um, uh, has, uh, has has had its play. Now, I one of the the aspects of the article is that there are stop reading signs on it, and you you go to the next part and then you stop. And so there's you know there's lots of surprise as you start playing through the campaign. And I and I, I like to follow the rules sometimes, and so I'm actually being a very good kid and not reading ahead. However, I was flipping through, you know, the blaster issue looking, you know, for different things for this episode. And I can't help but notice that I flipped to a page that has a dinosaur on it. Um, and I immediately no, you put your eyes out immediately. Yeah. I was like, Oh God, what's that? <laughs> cool. Dinosaurs. And I believe you mentioned that in the beginning of the article as well, uh, having a plastic dinosaur or two. Any any spoilers you want to hint there, or um, is it? I mean, this is truly yeah, so, a, a weird so, way to play Gaslands, right? Yeah. So I mean, um, I guess what I will say is, uh, having played a lot with toy cars, uh, I've spent a lot of time in toy aisles, and there mm -hmm. are other good good things uh, that a person who likes to write games for toys uh, could be leaning into. And so, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, f philosophically, I'm kind of 
I'm kind of bad at writing uh, expansions for my games, and I'm really nervous about uh, the the B word of bloat. And so I don't mm-hmm. want to stuff Gaslands filled with. Uh, I don't want to stuff Gaslands full of more uh, sponsors and more weapons and more vehicle types that all end up, you know, power creeping upwards because I have to make them in- continuously more interesting mm-hmm. and and blah blah blah. So you'll see from both uh, Martian uh, Racing Federation and from the Gaslands Legacy. But I'm just trying to like sean said i'm trying i'm trying out new nintendo carts in gaslands rather than just saying okay more guns more guns more guns that's so cool yeah and again can't wait till lockdown and so can play games these these games are so exciting and blaster is literally the most exciting gaming publication i've picked up in years and i've talked about a few good ones on the show in the past Guys, if you haven't checked out Blaster, even if you don't play any of the games we've talked about today, it's worth the read. Um, Just having a look through, uh, it's really exciting. The photographs are excellent. The art is fantastic. I believe, Sean, you've done almost all the art, if not all of it. Uh, I I did the art for, uh, I've done some of the, I did art for, uh, the magic carpet game mystic skies mm-hmm. and i did i've done art for various projects like any anytime i get the chance i like to do a little doodle here and there so i think i've done drawings for all the different games except i have yet to do a drawing for Frostgrave or rangers of shadow deep so i'll have to keep an eye out for a sean sutter drawing for those games brilliant in a future issue well, but yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a combination of a lot of talented uh, illustrators uh, that we've got involved and our fantastic uh, graphic designer and layout guru and editor, uh, Greg Horton, who, um, who who honestly like just blew all of us away uh, with the, the level of like crispiness and deliciousness that we've managed to get out of it. So yeah. uh, a, a good portion of that like in, initial impact and then the joy of like reading the articles on the page and gaming with them is is because of his um his passion for wanting to do something uh, really incredible with the material that he's been given well blaster really is the just to go back to that quote before it, it really is a collection of incredibly talented people doing really interesting and fun things and it is such a team effort it it's it's brilliant you guys are wonderfully creative and prolific individually but collectively it's such an exciting project and i'm so glad mike that you hooked me up with um the idea of you know you should really read this knowing that i'm a fan of your stuff and god you were right this is amazing and i cannot (laughs) recommend it enough ladies and gentlemen go out and get yourself an issue of blaster it doesn't matter which one i love all three for different reasons um, you can look at the contents, find the things that might grab you for the games you already have, but um, expect to be inspired by something else along the way. Check it out. Do it. Uh, Mike and Sean, thank you so much for coming on. It is always a pleasure to talk to you, Mike. Uh, I know it's really late for you. Thank you for making the time, brother. It's all right. Real pleasure to uh, chat again, bro. Always. Uh, we'll have to have you back on to talk sort of gaming in general. I know we always sort of talk about your newest release, but um, God, I, you know, I love to pick your brain just to talk about gaming in general because you and I play a lot of the same games. Um, and Mr. Sutter, thank you so much for taking the time. I know that you had family things on and uh, it is always a pleasure to, to, to meet new and creative people in the gaming world. And man, again, really impressed with your efforts. 
Great. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. And uh, yeah, folks folks should definitely uh, check out my work on relicblade.com. Mm-hmm. They can see some of my stuff, including Sludge, Mystic Skies, and Relic Blade. Definitely. And for those who are looking, um, I did not say, um, of course, we talked about the blue book for Gaslands, but Mike also has the hardback Gaslands refueled. And uh, we barely touched on, I think actually Sean did the best job of talking about Mike's game, A Billion Suns today. Um, But it is also an Osprey blue book. You can find both of those in your local game store. And yes, relicblade.com has fantastic content for all of Mr. Sutter's work check it out and heck if you like podcasts you can even look at me blabbing uh, at length about uh, the chat uh, the the wonderful world of miniature games design on rule of carnage uh, which uh, i've been doing for about a year now with a good good buddy and uh, gaslands collaborator so uh, yeah i got uh, it turns out i can talk for about an hour on literally any area of uh, miniature games design uh, who knew brilliant i know i'm listening to that later today Uh, But ladies and gentlemen, thank you, as always, for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. There's a lot of games, gaming podcasts out there that you could listen to. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this one. Uh, I think I guess that just leaves us with uh, what our buddy Casey always says, which is when you are playing the games that we know and love. I hope your beverages are cold. I hope your dice roll hot. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Another day rise in Paraguayan sun A few cracks of bed, another Heineken He's all alone, he's in his little I'm gone.